Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. Welcome to episode 29. Ooh, baby. It's the last year before we hit 30. Oh, man. And episode. it's our last episode before we hit 2020. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Do you have any... 2020 just sounds like the future, dude. It does. I'm excited I'm for 2020. For it. You are? <laughs> <laughs> that was like our personalities <laughs> in a soundbite. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, no, 2020 is going to be great. We're going to have a great time. Yeah, we're going to have a great time. It's going to be a big year for Dumb Love. It's going to be a big year for Jen O'Neill Smith. Yeah, and it's going to be a big year for Sally Brooks. Yeah, and for our listeners. I yeah. feel like big things are happening. Let's do everything we've always wanted to do, every single one of us. Every single thing, every single one of us. What New Year's resolution do you have? Well, I try not to make resolutions per se. I do every year do a vision board. And just Ben and I usually will be like, okay, we want to have goals every year. Like one thing that's like a big stretch, like this is a pie in the sky. I want to do this. And then one thing that's doable, one thing that's just a fun, I want a hobby or whatever. I want to read 15 books or something like that. That's like just a fun for you. One thing for our relationship and then one thing health wise. So those are our... That's so sweet that you guys do that together. Yeah, we're real nerds. We've been together a long time. You have to start thinking of new things. That's really good. (laughs) Because I was thinking my New Year's resolution would be to never start another podcast by going, whoa, baby. (laughs) I'm already cringing. I don't even know how that sound came out of my mouth. It's not a word I use or phrase. Whoa, baby. Cut it out. That's my dumb love promise to you guys. I will never say that again. Yeah, I'm right. <laughs> That's our personality. That's our- showing right there. Oh, <laughs> uh, wait, I have a quick correction. So, my friend Naomi, who I uh, think it was a couple episodes ago, yes. um, I told her story. Well, I told a story about Mike castleneck cartier and then i related it to naomi's personal story yes and um and then i mentioned that she her mother knew your mother at antioch yeah but it's actually not her mother it's her mother-in-law okay i misread the text message gotcha <laughs> you're Whoops like i just forgot those last just two words wanted to clear that up well, that's so cool. Yeah. It's a very, it's, it is, um, so it's this very small college. It's in the middle of Ohio in this like beautiful area called Yellow Springs, this tiny little town. And it's just like this little hippie college. Nice. It's very progressive and people can, kids can kind of be who they are there. It's really, it's a, a special place. And, and it's amazing all of the people that, because my mom was like the head fundraiser when it was in peril, she like saved the college, that so many people who have since she died have come out and, you know, just been like, she is our hero. She saved our college. Wow. And they're so appreciative. And it's just, it's really special to hear that. So yeah, um, it's just cool to see the impact that she made yeah. beyond us. Yes. Also, Naomi did uh, message us to say that, to thank us for telling our story, and she said that it made her feel really strong, and she didn't realize that hearing the story and knowing that it, making it public would give her so much strength. So well, I she's think a badass. Great. She is a badass, and I'm very glad that she got out of that shitty situation. Yeah, I am, I am amazed by her. Yes. Hell yeah, Naomi. Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, let's all be my Naomi's. Let's do it. Let's In 2020, be- that's, that's our resolution. That'll be my new... New New Year's resolution. <laughs> also, don't say um, that one thing. I won't say that thing. <laughs> Should um, we do our quickies? Yeah, let's do it. I will start today. All right. Okay, so this quickie is a John Stamos quickie. All right, I love which, that. Shouldn't they all be John Stamos quickies? I mean, they all are in my heart. Shouldn't it? <laughs> Isn't the best quickie a John Stamos quickie? <laughs> John was actually at the most magical place on earth, Walt Disney World, with his newlywed wife, Caitlin McHugh. Okay. She is 33 years old and the luckiest woman in the world. (laughs) (laughs) 
But they were there with um, their new new son, and they were getting ready to watch the fireworks display when a man came up to him and asked for a picture, and he right. gave him a picture, and then he looked really, really nervous. So John Stamos, being the greatest person on earth, mm-hmm. was like, my man, what is wrong? Are you okay? And then yeah. he said, I'm about to propose to my girlfriend. Will you help me? And John, of course, was like, absolutely, because he is... Because he's a doll. The best. So they decided to stage this whole thing right before the fireworks started where he would... Um, this man... Um, it never says the couple's name, but this is an article from People Magazine written by Gabriel Chung. This was written on Dece- December 6th of this year. So the man then goes and gets his girlfriend and he pretends that he's just going to be taking a picture with like come meet John Stamos and take a picture yeah but then he got uh, John Stamos got his wife to then take out her camera and then she asked everyone around them so it sounds like really the real hero of the story story is his wife yeah but um, so uh, <laughs> he asked them to take out their cameras and shine their lights on him so uh, on the couple so then all of a sudden like the lights dimmed for the fireworks display and all of the lights were shown shining on the couple and then the man got on his knee and proposed to him and then he well he he said that he he dropped the man dropped to his knee and he turned around to john stamos and said you're john stamos what should i do and he was like ask her to marry you so she said yes you could see the video on people.com she looks a little shocked for sure but they said that the proposal obviously made it all the more special because John Stamos was involved, yeah. of course. And then John Stamos tweeted the picture and he said, to assist with an engagement anywhere is an honor, but at Walt Disney World right as the fireworks began, that's magical. Congrats, kids, is what he said. Ugh, I um, love it. And then the groom-to-be retweeted it and said, thank you all. It was so much more magical to have him help out. Thank you so much. I will forever be grateful at John Stamos. <laughs> so will I. For other reasons. For other reasons in general. And now, like, I didn't know that this could be a thing. I didn't know that... Your love for John Stamos could be a thing? No, I didn't know that, like, he could have been involved in my engagement. (laughs) (laughs) When he asked me to marry him. That's how you could have been involved, John. That's how. Well, that's (laughs) my John Stamos quickie. And my New Year's resolution is there will be more. More John Stamos quickies? Yes. I love it. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. So my quickie is not quite as romantic, but so Jen, do you ever dream of coming into a huge sum of money? Yes. Like all the time, every day? Yes. Ben, and, do you play the lottery? Ben and I play the lottery. I used to, but I don't live across the street from a gas station anymore. Yeah. Where it was like easy to run across the street and grab some ticks. Yeah. We just do, we only play when it gets over $300,000 and we buy one ticket. But my favorite thing, I love that moment be, in between when you buy it and then when you find out you didn't win. And you think of all the things. Yes. Yeah. And so my favorite thing to I ask every time is like, okay, say we found out we won right this minute. Let's go on a trip. Where are we going? We're gonna buy, go buy like expensive plane tickets and we're gonna go to like some tropical island. Where should we go right now? And then sometimes I'll look places up and um, I just like to dream about that. Where would you go? Well, right now I think I would go to Bali. I was gonna say Bali. I swear (laughs) to fucking God. I swear to God I was gonna say Bali. I want one of those huts on a beach. Dude, did you see Jen and Wells? Wedding, yes, Jen, amazing. Are a, cu- a couple from a few stories back. They yeah. went to Bali, and uh-huh. their pictures looked incredible. Right? Apparently, like getting there is the hard part, and then once you're there, everything's like super inexpensive. Yeah, but who cares? Because I'm you're gonna, rich. I'm dude. so rich. Plus, yeah, I'm, we're either gonna like have someone take care of the kids here, or bring someone along to take care of the kids. Yeah, it's gonna be amazing. So when Robert and Tiffany Williams came into one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. They didn't spend their money on a trip. They spent the money on a 2015 Chevrolet Transverse, two four-wheelers, a camper, race car motor, and a head gasket. And they also paid some bills. They made some random cash purchases. And they gave $15,000 to friends in need of money, which is really nice. This is all very reasonable. Yes. all They did all of this in two and a half weeks. But they didn't win the lottery or <gasps> come into an inheritance. Instead... The money was deposited into their account at BB&T on May 31st through a mistake Oh by yeah, a yeah, that was a Friends episode, dude. Was it? Yeah, Phoebe like got all this money, and then she was uh, 
afraid to spend it and then she wanted to do like the right thing so then she told the bank that they made the mistake and then i think as like a thank you they gave her more money oh really <laughs> and then she was like no yeah then no this doesn't happen here oh okay yeah <laughs> no oh, man i know yeah yeah so actually the mistake happened right here in our backyard at the sandy springs branch like right outside of really Atlanta. yeah um so a company called dimension covington investments deposited the money but it was mistakenly routed to the Williams account instead of the correct destination. And then the error was only discovered like three weeks later when a official from Dimension questioned the missing deposit, which is mm. so crazy that it would take that long. three weeks to be like, where's my $120,000? Like, so, but once the bank realized its mistake, it transferred the money back into the correct account and out of the Williams account but they had already spent over $107,000. So they contacted, the bank contacted Tiffany Williams and she was like, they told her she had to pay it back. And then the next Holy day they called again. Balls. And then the next day they called again <gasps> and she was like, oh yeah, we'll work out a payment plan. And then they didn't ever answer the phone again. <laughs> I mean, the two, they're unemployed. They have three children. They live with her father. So how are they going to pay back $107,000? Okay, if they're unemployed and they bought all those RTVs and stuff, I take back my statement about those purchases being that they reasonable. Seem reasonable. Yes. So Buy um, a job. Buy a job. <laughs> <laughs> buy a job. You buy yourself a job, duh. Um, so they actually are now facing felony charges. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. So they were arrested and then they were both released on ah, bail, $25,000 bail. Did they use the money? I mean, I would, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. I hate that. I mean, I know that is like... It was a dumb, dumb decision. They shouldn't have spent the money. They like, shouldn't have spent you, the money. But you have to wonder like, where you got all this money from. Yes. Like, there's no such thing as free money. Exactly. I, I mean, anytime, you know, there is, like, a whole division of social, social security that, like, deals with overpayments when they yeah. mistakenly overpay someone. And then a lot of times people don't know it's not that much, but then they end up having to pay it back, and it's just, like, a whole deal. So yeah, um, if, if you ever get free money, really question that because yeah. it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, or call it out right away, and then maybe just like everything on Friends is so realistic. Right. <laughs> maybe they'll just give you an extra $120,000. <laughs> so that's my quickie. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen? Are you ready for a real crazy twisty turny story? Yes, okay. I am. Hey, this came from a few sources. One is an article for the NewYorkPost.com that was written by Kieran Crowley. And it also came from an episode of on the ID channel called Married with Secrets. Ooh, is this Married a whole with secrets? Yes. Whole, you know, I'm just gonna show? give you I'm gonna give you my password. <laughs> I'm gonna share. All right. I'm gonna share this bank of true crime all right you. I, okay. I just love that there's so many different shows about people killing people it's crazy and then another article was a really great article well it was a blog it's called a true crime discussions.blogspot.com so check it out it's great super right. informative okay so when john claude dominique was which is the best name ever jean-claude jean-claude dominique was 29 years old. He met Elliot. Um, she was an intensive care nurse who actually sponsored... Jean, uh, Jean-Claude was from Haiti, and she was originally from Haiti as well. And she sponsored him with the Immigration and Naturalization Service to bring him to the United States to practice medicine. Okay. So then shortly thereafter, you know, they worked together in the same hospital. They had so much in common. They both grew up in Haiti. They both had a medical background, you know, and they were just like a perfect fit for each other so within three months of dating they just knew that they wanted to spend the rest of their lives together so on may 20th of 1980 they marry and jean-claude moves into Elliot's two-bedroom condo in crown heights brooklyn it was like five minutes away from the hospital okay it's a great location yeah, that's a great location um, i wonder what it was like in 1980 though yeah i don't know so he quickly climbed up 
up the ladder at the hospital and because he was he was very he was super intelligent he was handsome he was like beloved he had, it was known to have like incredible bedside manner and his uh-huh. patients loved him and they his had his name was Jean-Claude yeah you can't not like saying Jean-Claude so they had two children together, uh, Jean-Claude Jr. Mm-hmm. and a daughter named Rachel. And after the birth of their daughter... Do you think Rachel was like, seriously, you guys all have these beautiful, exotic names? Elliot, Jean-Claude, <laughs> Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> Rachel is a beautiful name, by the way. It is a beautiful name. Um, it just is not um, It's not French. French. <laughs> um, Russia? <laughs> Rachel. Raquel. I, I don't know. So after the birth of their daughter, um, he ended up taking a promotion and started working at a different hospital. And Elliot decided that she wanted to stop working for a while so that she could be home with the children. Yeah. And then they soon, of course, with the two kids, outgrow their Brooklyn apartment. And then they buy this like new, nice, large home in a very nice, affluent community in Baldwin Harbor, Long Island. Okay. And, you know, they wanted more space for the kid, and they wanted the kids to be in better schools. So. Yeah. I mean, everybody it makes sense. You move to Long Island. Everybody does it. They move to Long Island or Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Everybody's moving out to the burbs. I know. You just gotta, unless you're a bajillionaire. In the next 10 years, they have like a really nice life together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jean-Claude came from a huge family. He actually had 23 siblings. What? Isn't that crazy? How is that poor possible? mother. Wait. 23. 23, like, siblings. <laughs> <laughs> But are some of them half siblings? No, I don't think so. I think they're all his his siblings. His mom had 23 kids. Dude, 19 kids and counting did it. Yeah, but 23 is more than (laughs) that's four more kids, which is not an insignificant amount of kids. Maybe there's a lot of twins happening in there. I mean, I hope that they're quadruplets. Yes. We'll I look into it's eight it. Tuplets. We'll look into it. Okay, we'll look into it. Um, we'll get back to you because I'm not letting this point okay. go. Hey, man, I'm just going by what married with secrets said. <laughs> but his younger brother Ali actually, they most of them lived in Haiti. But his younger brother Ali, or Ali actually, it's pronounced Ali, but it's spelled Ali. He also lived in New York mm-hmm. with them. He was a high school chemistry teacher and a soccer coach. Ali looked up to his brother and was so proud of how successful his brother was Mm -hmm. so he was very close to the family of course with Jean-Claude's schedule being an ER doctor he was very rarely at home and Elliot was used to that you know he had to leave on the fly all the time you get pages and have to leave at random times they never got rid of their Brooklyn apartment because he would stay there sometimes at night when he didn't want to you know drive back tired he would work long hours and so he would stay there a lot and Elliot was totally fine with that you know She's a nurse. She gets it. Yeah. You know. That's what you that, signed that's up That's the for. life. That's the life, man. So then when Jean-Claude was 49 years old, one night on March 22nd, 1999, he was leaving the hospital. And when he was crossing the street, he was struck by a car. The car ran. So it was a hit and run. And he had like multiple traumas to his head and his body. He was rushed to um, Kings County Hospital where he was put on life support. Okay. So it was, was it an accident? I don't know. It was just like a hit and run. Yeah. And nobody knew. But they called Elliot and she instantly ran to Kings County Hospital to be by his side. Oh, there was one witness that saw the car hit him. Mm -hmm. He told them what the car was. I think it was like a Pontiac or something. And the police found it a block away. But, you know, there was no driver in sight. And the the car had been reported as stolen. So they really didn't have any leads. So Elliot rushes to the hospital to be by her husband's side. But when she gets there, she sees that there is a woman in the room already by his side. Oh, no. Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude. Uh, she asks the woman, like, who are you? And the woman replies, I'm his wife. No, Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude. And then she's like, no, I'm Claire his Blue. wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> she said, no, I'm his wife. And then and she's like, no, I've been married to him for 20 years. I am his wife. I'm, right. you know, Elliot Dominique. And then the other woman is like, no, I know who you are. And you guys got divorced 17 years ago. <gasps> and we've been married ever since. And we have two children together. Oh, because Elliot's like, We're, we've been married 20 years and we have two kids. And she's like, no, no, no. We've been married 17 years and we have two kids. Oh, 
Holy shit. Isn't that crazy? That's so crazy. That's insane. Like, in 17 years, this isn't just, like, some other woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he had, he was leading two completely different lives. Two families. Dang, dang is right. So he is leading two lives with two women with four kids. That is exhausting. Yeah, and being an ER doctor. Like, how do you have time? How do you have time? I don't know. It's crazy. Jean-Claude. Jean-Claude. Betsy is the name of this woman. Betsy Dominique. Dude, they're both at the hospital and they're both claiming to be the wife. Yeah. And the hospital's like, this is cuckoo. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do in this situation. But Betsy is actually able to, on the spot, produce her marriage license. And like, you just keep it in your purse? I have no idea. Right? Or maybe like she brought it with insurance paper. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows? She showed them the marriage license and they and the hospital had to take that as proof that she was his wife so they asked Elliot to leave <gasps> and Elliot's like what the fuck is going on like could you imagine like I'm sure like, how husband you on life head? support mm-hmm. and there's and then- another woman in there and you were just asked to leave that's crazy I just don't know why you would want two families I don't know so he's like, it, he has a severe brain injury and cannot respond. He's totally unresponsive. So she can't even like ask him what the fuck is going on. Right. So then she goes to her brother-in-law, Ali, to ask him, what the heck did you know about this other woman? Did you know right. that he was married? Ali is just like, well, it's my brother's business and I just stay out of it. So he did know it. He did know. Can Wait, you, was he close with the other family too? I guess. He was, I guess he was just like going along with it. And maybe that's just what their family did. They just had I mean, different wives. Well, see, that's how you have 23 kids. See? Different, so there you go. There's women. your answer. All right. All right. <laughs> so who Betsy was? Betsy had been a family friend. Ali had known Betsy his whole life because she was a family friend back in Haiti. And they lived in the same village and their friends were families. And um, so... um, And her and Jean-Claude actually dated when they lived in Haiti when they were younger. So 17 years earlier from the accident, Betsy decided to move to New York and her and Jean-Claude, of course, reconnect Uh because they're both in the same city. So they start dating... Um, even though he's cheating on his wife, they start dating and he eventually married her in secret and then buyed uh, buy a house. Bought a house. <laughs> he bought her a house. He bought her a house. He bought her a, um, bought her a house a house with her, you know, their family home uh-huh. in New Jersey where they had two kids together. One boy um, that was named, guess what? Jean-Claude Jr. O'Neal. Oh, no way. Yes. A and one. a girl named Mapessa. So Rachel's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Come on, you guys. <laughs> so he, yeah, he was leading two completely different lives. He had a New Jersey life. He had a Long Island wife. And then he, a life. And then he had his wife and life. And then he had his job in the city in between. Man, that's so much commuting. Yeah. That's that's what's... The two families is exhausting, but all that commuting. I mean, I didn't even like to go from Queens to, to Brooklyn. Nah, I don't... Crown I don't Heights know. is like... It's like out there. And so he would just tell the other wife that he was staying at the condo, and they were like, okay. Okay, I get people cheat on their spouses. We've seen it all the time. But I can't imagine, like, having children... And then having another set of children and then having the heart to keep them separate and know that they don't know about it. Like, how do you do it to your children? Yeah, that's... It's crazy. It's crazy. What a piece of shit, Jean-Claude. So after 39 days in the hospital on April 30th, 1999, Jean-Claude Dominique passes away and his cause of death is ruled blunt trauma with complications. Yeah, I'll say complications. Mm -hmm. Betsy is listed as the next of kin. So she is left with everything and Elliot is left with nothing. And she's like devastated. What am I going to do? What is my life now? I have two kids. You know, what am I like? How am I going to? pay for things yeah. like so the brooklyn condo was actually hers okay so she goes to the brooklyn condo because you know it was originally hers and she does have the rights to it and she goes to clean it out when she does she finds a manila envelope with her name written on it and inside are signed divorce papers that she never signed <gasps> and she knew that wasn't her handwriting like jean claude forged divorce papers and divorced her without her knowing oh 
my god i know what a piece of shit and it also to make matters worse it also said on the papers that she was the one that asked for the divorce no this fucking guy Oh my God. So Betsy now has control over the finances, but Elliot finds a lawyer and shows him the forged papers. And then they get a handwriting analysis to decree that, yes, these papers are forged and you were never divorced. Yeah. So 15 months later, a judge issues a ruling that Elliot did not sign the papers. Therefore, the marriage to Betsy is not and has never been legal. Mm-hmm. And now Elliot is granted control of all of his assets. Yes. Dun dun dun. Yeah, I mean, and I, yay. I, yay, but also, I know, and like, I feel bad for Betsy too. I know, because Betsy, so how did she know? Yeah, exactly. Okay. You feel bad for both of the families. But here, so there was 70K in mutual funds and life insurance policies of at least a million. All four children. This is where, you know, it. we do feel bad for Betsy. Yes. You know, but Elliot was pretty cool about it. She, like, made sure that all four children got money. Good so she her. took care of the children and Betsy doesn't per se receive anything, but she does let her keep the house in New Jersey and she gave her that house, even okay. though it is technically, so she gave her something yeah, yeah, yeah. and she did take care of the children. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm on Elliot's side. Oh yeah. yeah. It's something, you know? And so there, and then there's another thing though. The doctor apparently owned a building in Brooklyn that she didn't know about. And Betsy and his brother Ali were running a beauty supply and money order store out of it. What? Because, you know, when you get your hair dye, you also need to get money orders. Right. <laughs> so he obviously knew all about Betsy because they were running a business together. So then Betsy then receives a letter from Elliot's lawyer telling her that she needs to stop collecting rent on the storefront because Elliot intended to sell the building. So this is where things got real messy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can, see, I can um, see this happening. Yeah. So Elliot starts a new life. You know, she tries to pick up the pieces and starts a new life without her husband. And she decides to go back into nursing. And she takes a job at Interfaith Hospital. And she worked the early shift and would leave each day around 5 a.m. to get to work. And on October 30th, 2000, Elliot goes out to the driveway to heat up the car and she notices that the motion detector light was already on, mm-hmm. which was weird. And so then she goes back inside, you know, and gets her things. And then when she comes back out to the car, she now sees that the motion sensor light isn't on at all. And she's like, wait, what's going on? So she turns around to see the switch on the wall to see if it was working or whatever. And then all of a sudden, someone comes out of the dark and shoots her several times. <gasps> She's able to get back into her house to call her children. She, five shots were fired and she was shot two times in the head and several times in the hand. Oh my god! And they called 911 and an ambulance came out and rushed her to the hospital. When the police came out immediately and they interviewed neighbors and someone told them that they saw two men in puffy jackets walking in different directions and another tall man that was walking north is what they said. And then they ended up finding the gun and the police knew it was an, she was still alive. Mm. The, they knew that it was an assassination attempt sent police to the hospital to protect her and watch over her and luckily the bullets had just barely grazed her head so she had very little damage like just scratches she did have the fractured fingers yeah um, whatever yeah and so but she was overall okay and very lucky they said that if she hadn't turned her head in that last second to see like what was up with that light she would have been dead yeah and so she tells the police that she doesn't know who those people are, but she does tell them, like, look, there's a lot of people that don't like me right now. Right. You know, like, um, she tells them about the turmoil in the family. Like, not only is she dealing with Betsy, but she actually had a falling out with Jean-Claude's entire family. Oh, yeah, um, you would. Yeah. So starting with the brother Ali, not only with the building situation, but apparently even before that happened, during the funeral... He insisted on having like a super lavish, over-the-top funeral, yeah. like a $30,000 funeral. And How much does an emergency room doctor make? I don't know. <laughs> it's a crazy amount of money that I he know. is like all of these things that he is. I mean, he I has. know, to have like two huge houses and a condo. And, and a brownstone. So yeah. Oh yeah. And this building. He expected Elliot to pay for the funeral right. being his wife, but she was like, that's crazy. I'm not spending that much on the funeral. And he got really angry 
and decided to throw his own funeral. And and he and <laughs> like, on my, I'll own my own and you're not invited. <laughs> so he didn't invite her. So she wasn't allowed to go to the funeral. Okay. And then apparently one of his cousins called called her and told her like you're not his true wife betsy was his true wife and and you and your children aren't welcome so like none of them could go to the funeral okay and i could understand the children wanting to go to that funeral but at that point i don't think i would want to go to the funeral i know i'd be like i'm at my own funeral yeah there were several people that would have wanted to cause her harm police end up picking up a guy named Alexander Exama that they see walking around that fits the description of one of the guys fleeing the scene. They take him in and he tells police that pretty much right away. He's like, yeah, I'll tell you what happened. So he tells police that a guy named Marvin told him that he had a job to do and that if he came along, he'd get $3,000. And and then he told them that they were hired by a man, that him and Marvin were hired by a man named Joe. And then detectives figure out that it's a man named Joseph Moyes and then they immediately go and interview him and he backed up Exama's story saying that he was hired in July by somebody else and that he was supposed to drive the two men but he backed out the night before instead the person that drove and the person that hired them was Ali yes her brother-in-law Ali Ali Dominique you look so proud. <laughs> She's like, hell yeah. Um, so yes. <laughs> Joseph, Nailed it. What do I win? Nailed it. <laughs> Joseph said that Ali was livid when she took the storefront from him and decided that he was right then and there that he was going to have her killed. He was like, um, she's not going to get away with this. So police oh. tracked Ali down and immediately arrested him. And Ali admitted that he wanted Elliot killed. And he said, but he said that he was only doing it to protect himself. Because he said that Elliot was the person responsible for the hit and run. And that he believed that she was going to kill him next. And he believed that all of the money should have went to him and Betsy and not Elliot. So that's it- what he's claiming. Okay. So at trial... Ali actually tries to, it's like cuckoo. Ali tries to say that he never admitted to it, that the police are setting him up, that he never signed the confession. It was forged. At the trial, Joseph Moyes testifies that Ali actually, at times, spoke about not only killing Elliot, but both of their children. And he, yes. And he said that he what he was going to do is he was going to kill Elliot first to frame Betsy and then kill Betsy and her two children and her two children so that he would be next of kin. So this was all like his master plan. So right. I'm thinking, this is all speculation, yeah. but I'm thinking he probably set up the hit and run to blame Elliot to well, like to start this whole chain of events. Right, so he probably thought, kill the brother, I'll get the building or whatever, yep. or I'll have some, and then he, maybe he didn't anticipate the whole rigmarole with the two ladies, I don't know. But, Separate, well, maybe yeah. he knew that like killing the brother would expose the fact that there were two wives. Yeah. I don't know, that's just what I'm thinking. Yeah. In February 2002, Ali Dominique was found guilty of second-degree attempted murder and conspiracy to commit murder, and he was sentenced to 8 to 25 years. Not enough. And then Marvin Geddon, the gunman, he pleads guilty to second-degree attempted murder, and he got 19 years. Alexander Exama pleads guilty. He gets 12 years. And then Joseph Moyes, uh, because of his cooperation, he just gets one year. Does it? Yeah. Well, he didn't really like. I guess he wasn't. He didn't, really... he didn't. What he wasn't in the car. Yeah. He turned everybody in. He decided not to do it. So yeah. he didn't. It was. He was a little bit in. The I case. mean, they kind of needed him. He's yeah. a linchpin. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Joseph all right. I hope you got your shit together, Joseph. <laughs> Elliot is now retired and spends her time traveling and enjoying her family. Rachel, sweet sweet Rachel, mm-hmm. is now an attorney. And John Claude Jr. is getting his master's in engineering. They don't say what Betsy's children are up to or what Betsy is up to. Maybe she. I just hope didn't they're doing talk. well. I yeah. hope they're well. And to this day, nobody knows who the driver of the car was. But I think I know who the driver of that car was. I mean, it had to be intentional, right? Because I mean, yeah. If it was a stolen car, you don't steal a car. I mean, you steal a car to then go hit someone and then. Yeah, and this guy sounds so calculated. Like it definitely sounds like some shit he would do. <gasps> or maybe it was Betsy. Maybe it was Betsy. 
Maybe uh, it was Elliot. Maybe. No, it wasn't. So like that's I say that. the end of my crazy story. That's a crazy story. Right? I loved that. Good. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for my love story? Yes, please. This is a really sweet one. So my love story today has a lot of different facets. It is a traditional boy meets boy love story. It's the story of a couple that decides to put aside their differences and do the very best they can for their children, even if other people don't agree. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning, it is the kind of love story that you love the very best. It's a story I'm about... I'm like, a- what do I... <laughs> I don't even know You're what kind like, of love story I love. Is that a love story about murder? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a story about a guy playing sports, which I know you love so much. <laughs> You don't know me at all, Sally. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you loved the sports. Mm -mm. Oh, man. Okay, well. Okay, so Jeff Rohr was born in 1958, and he grew up in Manhattan Beach, California, with his father, Don, who was the chief lifeguard for L.A., and his mother, Beverly, who was a school superintendent. He was a star athlete. He played football, and he was a National Football Foundation and Hall of Fame scholar athlete. He was also a smart dude because in 1978, he was accepted into Yale University, where he played for the football team. He was a defensive player, and in his senior year, he got Ivy League honors. Uh, That year, the Yale team won the Ivy League championship, and three of its players were selected in the 1982 NFL draft, including Jeff. So he went to the Dallas Cowboys, and in all, he played six years with the Dallas Cowboys. During training camp in 1988, he was hospitalized with a back injury, which required season-ending surgery. So during this time with the Cowboys, he was considered like a tough and outspoken player. And then after he retired, Jeff stayed in L.A., where he became a successful commercial producer. Pretty soon after his retirement, he met Heather at a bar where she worked in Manhattan Beach, and they got married in 1994. And Heather says we were everyone's favorite couple because they were just like a lot of fun. And they built this life in L.A. and started their family. So Isabella was born in 2002, and then Dillion was born in 2004. Dillion. Or maybe it's Dandelion. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, like a dandelion? dandelion? <laughs> Well, it's D-O-N-D-I-L-L-O-N. I can't spell in my head. I couldn't even spell when I was looking at it. Okay. But the couple, after their kids were born, they started to struggle. Yeah. It turned out that Jeff had been trying to come to terms with his sexuality for a very long time, and Heather knew. She said she had tried talking to him, and she said, it wasn't that Jeffrey came out to me, but once I figured it out, it was obvious that he was gay. He thought it was wrong. He was so angry. He thought his children wouldn't love him, that he'd lose his job. And she tried to help, and she kept telling him that it was okay, that it was no big deal, but it was a big deal to him. And he just, I mean, he was born, and he had this very traditional upbringing. He was a football player. Like, he just couldn't accept it. In 2011, this struggle between the two of them and within him brought their 17-year marriage to a painful end. The two stopped speaking to each other for the next 18 months. But then they did something that's kind of remarkable. They decided to set aside their hurt and anger for the sake of their kids, and they moved back in together so they could co-parent as a family in 2013. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that could work for every family, but I think that the fact that they could figure it out together is pretty amazing. Yeah, you still love each other. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeff felt like, with his conservative upbringing, with his football career, he felt that coming out wasn't an option. And he says, if I had told the Dallas Cowboys in the 1980s that I was gay, I would have been cut immediately. It was a different world back then, and people didn't want to hear it. And he says, it was something that I had suppressed so hard for so many years that I really had no idea. My story was kind of, you go on track to who you're supposed to be, not who you want to be. Which I think is, you know, whether you're talking about your sexuality or just a career choice is like a thing that so many people do Mm -hmm. they just have this idea either from their parents or society of like who they're supposed to be and who what they're supposed to want and they don't stop to think about what is it that i want out of this life and i think that's like an important lesson for all of us you just get one go so don't waste your time pleasing someone else dude i'm totally yeah yeah now that i'm almost 40 Uh uh-huh i like i'm totally like oh i get what midlife crises are yeah I'm halfway over and I haven't done shit. 
Yeah. It's crazy. So this unlike conditional acceptance from Heather when they got back together was a big turning point for Jeff. And so in 2015, Jeff met Joshua Ross during a happy hour at a tequila bar in West Hollywood. And Joshua, who is 23 years younger than Jeff, was already kind of L.A. famous when he met Jeff. And you might know him because Joshua is known as the skincare guru to the stars, and he has made appearances on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, wow. So in fact, he actually, a lot of the housewives, including Lisa Renna, are his clients. <gasps> Lisa Renna ages backwards. Yeah. So I'm already his fan. I mean, you should see him. I mean, not only is he 23 years younger than Jeff, uh-huh. but because his skin is amazing. So he looks 12. He does look 12. <laughs> oh and he's this teeny tiny little guy, uh-huh. and Jeff is this Big guy, he does look very young. Oh, wow. So he founded, Joshua founded Skin Lab in 2014, which is actually one of the top skin clinics in LA. But he grew up in Texas, just a few hours from where Jeff was playing linebacker with the Dallas Cowboys. So Joshua said that sparks flew when he and Jeff met at that bar. And he loves to tell a story. He says he joined this group who was like talking about college football. He was kind of rolling his eyes, but he watched as Jeff listened in on the conversation And Joshua says, this other guy starts bragging about playing college football, about how he would have made it to the NFL if he hadn't been injured, the same old boring war stories. And Jeff just sat there smiling and drinking and let the guy go on and on. And he said, that's just the kind of guy that Jeff is. He's polite and respectful. He's not about to hurt anyone's feelings. So when Joshua walked into Jeff's life in 2015, Jeff says he was still completely in the closet. And if it was not for Josh, he'd still be in there. Really? So the two started dating pretty soon after they met, and they took their romance slowly, but about six months into their relationship, Josh demanded to meet Jeff's ex-wife and kids. And it was a success. Like, Heather loved Joshua, and once again, his family knew what was going on before Jeff did. His son said, it wasn't really like coming out. I pieced it together that they were dating. (laughs) And in May of 2018, after three years of dating, Jeff proposed to Joshua, Aww. And in November 2018, they got married at a in a fairy tale wedding in LA, and you can see pictures. It was beautiful. Uh, a few I'm days, sure. yeah, a few days before the wedding, Jeff came out publicly in a New York Times article, and the wedding made history because Jeff became the first known NFL player to marry a man. And many of his former teammates sent texts and emails congratulating Jeff. And as a whole, it was just a very accepting experience. And Jeff said, the wedding broke down walls. You would not believe how people from both of my worlds came together and had a blast, proving that people are really just people and that love is the thing that needs to be celebrated no matter who is loved or who is getting married. And Jeff's friends were surprised because, you know, he had been in the closet for so long. So his friends that didn't know about Joshua were like, wait, what? He's getting married to who? You know? Yeah. But Joshua's friends were kind of baffled too because they were like... What are you like? How do you feel about taking on this extra baggage referring to like Jeff's kids, you know? And Joshua said he he actually, when he was talking to the New York Times, like about the extra baggage. How old were his kids at the time? Young teens. Oh, okay. Young teens. Yeah. So Joshua cried in the New York Times article when he was like, he was like, baggage? What baggage? We're adding two beautiful children to our wonderful modern family. Aww. Yeah. And so after the wedding, they settled down to the business of being a married couple, which in their case is not just the two of them, but also Jeff's kid and his ex-wife, Heather. And all five of them live together in the same house. And Heather said that like being together for the kids is the most important thing for us. And she said, you know, it's been an adjustment for this new blended family. It's been challenging at time, but she says it's so worth it. And Josh says, we get in our fights, but we find a way to make up. We're just trying the best we can. Jeff's daughter told People Magazine, we're one big bundle of very strong personalities. So sometimes we butt heads, but in the end, we're always laughing. And they are committed to staying together. And Heather said, we're choosing to live this way now because we love our kids so much. But we've decided we may all live together forever. And Jeff says, I think we will. That's so awesome. Isn't that amazing? I love that story. I just, I love that it's just like a bunch of people who all love each other and love their kids so much that they're just trying to make it work. And that it just shows that whatever makes you happy, like you don't have to be... The perfect, the family that everybody sees of a mom, a dad, two kids. Like, yeah, you could be a dad and a dad and a ex-wife and two kids. Yeah, it's all just love is love, and yeah. Now I think I 
love sports stories. (laughs) You're right. I do love sports stories. It's like I know you better than you know yourself. (laughs) That was your (laughs) gift to me. That's my gift to you. I love it. That's so awesome. (laughs) Okay, are you ready to do something dumb and something we love? I'm ready. Okay, so my something dumb is pretty dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'll start by saying that I have been cursed with the this trait that my mom also has. Okay. Which is, I get it from her, we laugh at the worst times. Oh. We laugh like inappropriate at funerals. Uh-huh. Even like I think about the fact that I shouldn't laugh. Just like the idea of like, what if I laughed right now? And then it just like... And then you can't hold it in? Yes. <laughs> One time my mom and I, we were in church and my brother who was like four at the time Mm -hmm. we look over and he was just sitting there with his middle finger up just (laughs) flicking up the whole church and then I was like mom and I like elbowed her and she looked at him and we both started laughing so hard that like we couldn't keep it in and then we couldn't ever set back to zero right and then we ended up having to leave because we couldn't stop (laughs) and so anyway so yesterday when i was at my daughter's holiday party i was working the hot cocoa station you're such a good room mom or whatever (laughs) i'm actually not a room mom it's just kind of like i feel like i need to get volunteer for these things so anyway so thank you to the actual room moms. But yeah. I was doing the, like, helping kids get their little hot cocos uh-huh. or whatever. Uh, and then there was this little boy, and I went to hand him his hot cocoa. And he looks at me, and he just goes, and I'm going to laugh saying this, <laughs> even though it's so inappropriate. It's awful. But he goes, in August, my great-grandmother died. <laughs> and then I stopped, and I go, oh, my God, honey, I am so sorry. And then he just sh- shrugged his shoulders and goes, eh. <laughs> And I look around like, is any did anybody just see this? And nobody's watching. And I started inside, like ho- trying to swallow the laughter to the point that I was convulsing and tears were coming out of my eyes. I had to leave the room. I had to abandon hot cocoa station. Oh, no, I take it back. You're not a good hot cocoa mom. <laughs> and I, it took me a while, but I felt so terrible that I like laughed at this little boy telling me about his great-grandmother. Well, he was being funny. Well, <laughs> is that funny? Well, what if it's true? And he's like, eh. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't uh, torn up about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was just like, I wish that somebody else was, like, heard it. Yeah. I wish that somebody else was there. <laughs> and I was, oh, my God. It was something. It was something. So that was dumb. I felt terrible. I yeah. thought about it all day yesterday. Um, and something I love, I, this is just a random thing that I have written down, but have you watched the movie Marriage Story on Netflix yet? Uh, no, I heard it was like real depressing. Yeah, I don't know why I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were great. Like their their performances were fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it is pretty depressing, but it's a great movie. And yeah. like they were great. Yeah. I don't know why I love it. Hey, what do you love? <laughs> Let's just go to you. Well, this is not uplifting, but so I am the executor of my mom's will mm-hmm. and it has been like it's crazy what you have to do after someone dies. I know. Like how how all of a sudden like I mean, look, I have a law degree. I should know how to do these things, but it is so much to deal with. I know. And you're like in the middle of your grief, you're like having to like file paperwork and do all this stuff. And it, her affairs were not in order. Like, so anyway, so that is really dumb. And anybody who is like going through it or has been through it, I, you have my sympathy because it is such, it's so it's crazy. Awful. It's so crazy. Yeah. And then it's like, hey, and if you don't do it right, you could be sued. I mean, it's just nuts. So anyway, the, the thing I love is that um, I have this really good friend. His name is David Levy. He was my first friend in law school, and he's just like the nicest person you'll ever meet. And like he was in Ben and I's wedding. He's a really good friend of ours. And he sent me a message and was just like, hey, I know this is really hard. His, his dad died a few years ago, and he was just like, I know this is really hard, so... If I can help you with any of like the estate stuff, I can let me do it. And I was just oh, like, wow, oh. it was That's like such a relief. Ba- yeah, I was like, I I know if I was like in a better place, I could figure this all out myself. 
but if you could just tell me what to do, that would be so nice. And he was like, all right, I'm on it. No problem. And I was like, it was such a gift. They always say that like when a friend of yours is grieving, don't ask them, how can I help you? Because then you're just giving them like another thing to do. Or don't say, call me if you need anything. Because they're not going to. You should always just like just come with the thing that you know that they need. Yeah. Like I'm taking your child today and you're going to go take a nap or yeah. you know something like that. So like that's the most ultimate amazing yes. gift is him coming to you and taking that off your hands. What a guy. I know. He's great. What a great. guy. Daniel? David? David. David. Yep. Thanks, David. Yes. Thank you, David. And he listens to the podcast. Hell yeah. Yeah, I think. I Now I really love this guy. Well, at least guy. his wife does, Pamela, who is also amazing. They sent this beautiful bouquet and I uh, and uh can I say one other thing that's kind of funny we have very amazing friends and so we have I've gotten like four different bouquets of flowers and of the four three are the exact same one uh, so it's like they, you have a type where they're no, probably like here's the grief one uh, so, <laughs> we have gotten, and it's just funny because like as one kind of wilts another one will come We're like oh perfect ben didn't even realize that were three different bouquets of flowers oh my gosh he thought it was so all funny. the same one and he like went to another room and he's like wait i'm so confused why is there <laughs> Oh, that's funny. But the one that David and Pamela sent was like beautiful and kind of exotic. And I sent a text to Pamela saying thank you. And she was like, David picked it out. It's one of his secret skills you would never know. That's so crazy. I love this guy. Yeah, he's great. And so is Pamela. So anyway, so thank you. That was amazing. And it really was a weight off my shoulders and that I didn't know I was carrying. So Um, so that's, that's something I love. And I also love that... We're going into a new year yeah, and all the possibilities that a new year brings. I love that. Oh man, we're going to get so rich. We're going to get so rich and famous. We're going to just open our bank accounts and there's going to be $167,000. I can't wait. We're going to buy all the RTVs. I'm going to buy so many engines. And that's what you call in the biz a callback. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. We just call back (laughs) this shit. Man, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys for subscribing. Thank you guys for sharing and telling your friends about us because that's amazing. We're super lucky and we're super grateful. Thank you so much. Yeah, and get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, dum-dum, 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 d